Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. And welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. And you might notice that we're not the McElroys. Yeah, I am not Sydney. And you are not Justin. Nope, nope. In fact, neither of us have expertise in this at all. We are not married. I am married. We are not married. Right. But someone else. Right. We're not married to each other. A neither of us has a PhD. doctorate or an MD. So... <laughs> this but, is going to be a good show. <laughs> but but. Uh, Max Fun is doing this very cool flippy flu where we all host each other's shows. And I'm very excited because I'm a huge Sawbones fan. I don't know about you. Oh, I definitely am. And yeah, so love their show. Sydney and Justin are going to host our show and we're hosting their show this week. So if you're like, I miss Justin and Sydney, we'll go listen to Ono, Ross and Carrie. Exactly. And you'll get them. Yeah. And but, yeah. you know, keep listening. We're gonna, yeah. We've got interesting stuff for you. Yeah. We're going to talk about near-death experiences. NDEs, mm-hmm. as the insiders call it. We're going to talk about NDEs in depth. Oh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, I see what you did there. Thank you. <laughs> You're ashamed of it, but you see it. No. Um, yes. So, uh, near-death experiences... So what what do you think like the layman's understanding of the near death experiences? Oh yeah, well I mean it's so pervasive in popular culture where you know you see these images of white clouds and someone kind of walking towards the light and and mm-hmm. you know generally here in the U.S. it's all about the uh, Judeo Christian view of heaven and sure. um, yeah so people go up and they get this decision moment oh I'm gonna go to heaven it's gonna be great yeah. but oh no you've got more left for you back on earth go home yeah. go back they, your they, wife needs you and uh, and then you're sent back to your body to live your life but tell others that the afterlife is real totally that's uh that's my impression that about right? too yeah I think that's right and it turns out that when people do have near-death experiences they're in some ways kind of similar like there's yeah there's the rushing tunnel is like actually a pretty common experience and that's and that's one of the arguments for it is that it's consistent yes uh, across different accounts right although some people will if they're Christian they're more likely to say I saw Jesus if they're right. Buddhist they might have seen the Buddha if they're uh, Hindu they might have seen one of the Hindu gods etc and you were already suggesting there's uh, different components of the experience mm-hmm. so there's like the tunnel and then yeah there's meeting the ethereal 
ethereal being and they don't always happen together some people will have like you know certain aspects of the nde experience which we'll get into mm -hmm. uh but yeah you're right for that one with uh, meeting your your deity or angel or whatever it may be obviously it's going to be uh, constrained to your religious experience, or maybe not, obviously. Yeah, exactly. So, like, if that might it, say something. Right. So, maybe that means that your. So, it could mean a couple things, I guess. It could mean that uh, your brain is like telling you how to interpret this experience, and so it overlays your pre existing beliefs. Mm -hmm. Or it could mean that uh, whatever deities or powers are out there that they express themselves to you in a way that you'd feel comfortable, much like the movie Contact. That makes sense. Exactly. So, Ross, you looked into like the the long, long, long history yeah, of NDEs. Near-death experience goes back a long ways, or at least stories of people experiencing uh, the afterlife. So, back in Plato's The Republic, there was a Greek soldier named Ur, E-R, <laughs> <laughs> what? Er, er. I don't know. It just sounds His like every time you're er. talking to him, yeah, you would, you would just sound like you made a mistake. So, er, he was left for dead on a funeral pyre and he awoke to describe a place where souls are judged and there were passageways like that would lead to heaven or to uh, torture. And, uh, and then in the Tibetan Buddhist literature, they had the Das Lok. I'm sure I'm saying that incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Um, but it essentially meant returned from the dead. And these were writings that also described kind of uh, how to proceed into the afterlife. We all know about the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which also told similar stories just about people being able to communicate back mm -hmm. stories from. And I think that's why this whole category is interesting, because we all want to know what happens after we die. Oh, yeah. But typically, you know, you don't get to hear about it because those people died. Died, right. They don't come back. So either you've got two hopes then. Either they'll come back at the last moment and tell you about this experience, mm -hmm. or they'll come back as ghosts and tell you things. So, oh, right. Um, so I, I think that's what fueled a lot of these historical stories. Uh, there was also uh, many North American, Native American stories. Um, there was one I read about a Chippewa chief who was like killed in battle and then his warriors were going back. He's like, wait guys, don't leave me here. Uh -huh. And he like follows them back and he's trying to like shout at his wife and stuff and why can't anyone hear me? And then eventually uh -huh. he goes back to his body and takes him like four days, but then he's able to come back to life and then walks back to his Oh jeez. Uh, yeah, right? And then they're all excited. Talk about a journey. Journey. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, there was also a story about like a Lithuanian man who had an out of body experience. He was, you know, pulled out of his body and he saw like them take his body and like got as far as the funeral. And then he went to like, I guess, I think it was uh, kiss himself on the forehead or something. And then uh -huh. boom, he was back and he got up and went home with them. Oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah. Um, and when when was that? I want to say it was more recent, like kind of turn of the previous century. Okay. I think. So a little harder to verify. But yeah. Yeah, totally. And I did hear, I read this one account. This was just a couple of years ago, but, uh, and I don't know if it's true, but it made the news that this woman uh, was in her casket at her funeral because she'd been declared brain dead. She came to, saw like everyone kneeling over her coffin, had a heart attack and died in her own coffin. <gasps> oh no, <laughs> like, that scared her so yeah, bad. Yeah, oh, that she man. actually died because obviously she was very weak to begin with. Oh, that is the worst. That's like everybody's worst fear and then just like compounded. Yeah, it's everybody's worst fear 
plus their worst fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh man. poor dear. I know. Oh, it's horrible. I don't even want to look up to see if that's true. Let's just assume it is. Sure. I'm, I'm going to accept it on faith. Uh, medieval Europe, of course, had many stories of the afterlife, and I think Christianity definitely played into these stories, both of... And this is interesting, too. I don't know if this came up in your research, but usually we hear about really positive NDEs. You yes, know, the, yeah. The light and the affirmation, but in the... Uh, medieval times, you also had like these horrible yeah. instances of torture and judgment and being yes. pulled down by demons. And apparently that does happen. It does. But just a very small percentage of the time. Yeah. Um, that's that's definitely what seems to be happening now in the modern research, and we'll get into that more. But one thing that seemed to be a through line in my research was that when there were reported cases of hell sightings, mm-hmm. they were only documented by Christian researchers who then yes. concluded, um, you know, this is sort of a sign that everybody needs to yeah, um, there were like, adopt our religion. There were like two researchers who actually had those findings none others did mm-hmm. and they were actually using it as like a ministry tool right within the research which was a little dodgy yeah it's i mean maybe or maybe once you see that you become a christian i don't know sure i, yeah. I remember i used to be a born-again evangelical christian i remember hearing those stories mm-hmm. you know like the horror of smelling the sulfur and the demons mm-hmm. dragging you down just this horrific imagery oh yeah and that being used as kind of like a you know a frightener to say this stuff is real yeah no that that would work on me i mean even if you were just like don't go to that starbucks it's on fire and people are being hit with whips i i would just be like i'm not going there right totally (laughs) that would be a bad Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) might want to write the better business bureau or at least leave a bad yelp review or something (laughs) i hear people are being flagellated right at the starbucks and burned alive i haven't actually gone (laughs) but rumor has it but if the preponderance of nde research is any indication it sounds like most of the experiences are very positive yes theologically it points to a very loving accepting and forgiving god Mm mm-hmm yep uh, so, you want to take us into the, the current realm? Sure, yeah. So, the modern research really started with this guy named Raymond Moody. Oh, uh, yes. There's going to be so many weird names involved here. We've got Er, we've got Moody. Later, we're going to hit Malarkey. Oh, yeah. Raymond Moody uh, was this guy who collected a bunch of anecdotes from people who had had near-death experiences, and he coalesced them into this book called Life After Life. Big bestseller, right? Big bestseller. I actually read it in college. Oh. Not for a class. I just happened to be in college. So Raymond Moody uh, started like telling people that about these experiences, and every time he would go and give a talk, he said someone would come up out of the audience and be like, that's happened to me. And so he kept collecting more and more stories. Oh, wow. But, and here's where he kind of shot himself in the foot. Oh, okay. sorry. Oh, he was a doctor, right? I think he was collecting stories out of his practice, but that's interesting that he kind of branched out and just started collecting them from the public. Right, and then he kind of shot himself in the foot by keeping everyone's stories anonymous. So some people wanted to be anonymous, and then he just thought, oh, let's just anonymize all of them. Uh, well, now we're just taking Raymond Moody's word for totally. it. No one can follow up on it. No one can say, okay, well... Check details. Right, exactly, because what you really want, like the, the holy grail of uh, near-death experience research would be someone who had an experience where they saw something that they couldn't have seen through their body that then is verified. So like, let's say, yes, I'm dead for a second. And then and you're in my hospital room while I'm dead and you weep and you say, oh, it's so sad because I never got to tell Carrie that her mother 
is a nun. I don't know. Yeah. So, something that like I wouldn't even know. Sure. And then I come to and I say, uh, you know what? I I I remember standing in the room, seeing my body. I remember Ross crying and tri- tripping on a banana. And then he said my mom was a nun. It was crazy. He had a red shirt on. And then you say, yeah, all that stuff happened. That is veridical. Veridical. Yeah. That's, that's what, what they refer to it as in the research. Right. Meaning uh, true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ver- verifiable. Yeah. Verified. By the way, I, me- I meant to note. For those of you wondering, like, why I didn't react, like, oh, Carrie, why did you read Life After Life? That's because this is Carrie. Oh, right. And of course, she would read something like that. So just yes. so you know, normally with anybody else, you'd be like, well, why would you read that book? Uh-huh. Carrie will read. Oh, of course. Any, and so would you. Any crazy. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, yeah. For people who aren't aware of our show, like, this is a lot of the stuff we're into. We love, like, paranormal claims and looking we at this stuff from- We are strange people. <laughs> We're weirdos, and we like looking at this stuff from a scientific viewpoint. Hey, uh, however, we are still not Sydney, and don't listen to us anyway. So Moody interviewed over a thousand anonymous people, and they mostly had similar experiences. So uh, Moody concluded that there's definitely an afterlife. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, he became more convinced. Yeah, completely. So there's another guy named Bruce Grayson, who's a big researcher. He's mentioned in Mary Roach's Spook, which is one of our favorite books. And this is all recent enough, too. They're all still alive. Yes. In fact, I'm going to get to an email that Bruce Grayson sent me this morning. What? Yeah. So Bruce Grayson is this big researcher who's studied near-death experiences by doing something pretty genius, I think. Do you know about his big... Yeah, where he kind of isolated those different components of the NDE and then created a rating scale by which he could kind of measure how strong of an NDE experience it was and how deep it was. Uh, That is right. But also uh, what I think is really genius is that he would study specifically cardiac patients because Mm. cardiac patients who are kind of in, in very extreme um, life or death states often have to be put into clinical death in order to treat their hearts. So mm. um, mm-hmm. especially if they're putting sort of a, a device that kickstarts your heart in there, they have to stop your heart to do it. Yeah. So he went to these places where there were cardiac patients and up above on the ceiling in these operating rooms, he put um, uh, a laptop or an iPad that shone up toward the ceiling and projected an image. So, uh, and there were 12 different images. So one was like a blue rabbit and then another was a red house, hmm. things that would be pretty memorable. They, they were very vivid, brilliant colors. So the thought was, if you do actually leave your body and float up above and go toward the ceiling, you could see this image and you could re- report back. Oh yeah, there was a random glowing red picture of a house. Cause that would be a pretty memorable random detail. That's such a smart, obvious thing to do. You know, if people yes. say they are floating up. You know, the brain can generate amazing simulations of the world, and we do that in our dreams all the time. Right. Kind of the opposite view of this whole situation is that our bodies are sitting there in the situation, and maybe some of our senses are still working. Mm -hmm. Apparently, hearing is one of the last ones to go. Right. So maybe just from that information alone, or maybe the sense of touch, we can put together a lot about the scene and then kind of tell it back later. Right. And then you have a situation where, you know, people can really accentuate the hits and be like, well, that's right. Or, uh-huh. you know, we can slightly change our story based on the retelling and the response from others. Or think you remember it that way. You know, if I'm in your room and you come back and you say, Carrie, weren't you wearing a blue shirt? And I'm like, 
It was either blue or purple. No, yeah, I think it was blue. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, having that kind of objective thing can help show if it's veridical. Exactly. But I want to tell you an update on Bruce Grayson. Okay. Okay, so when Spook was written, which was 10 years ago now, it was 2005, Grayson was right in the middle of his research. And Mary Roach actually finishes her chapter on near-death experiences by saying... If Grayson ever finds someone who can say what was on that, what that picture was, I'll be a believer. Oh, okay. So I went to see like, okay, I mean, 10 years ago, you'd think like he has some conclusions now. So I went and I was searching all through his website and whatnot, and I couldn't find anything. Hmm. So I emailed him. You'd think this would be a big deal if someone had. Right. So I emailed him and I said, you know, I was rereading Spook this afternoon. You know, you're prominently featured in it. I was wondering what became of that study. Did anyone ever correctly identify the picture being projected up at the ceiling? Yeah. So he just wrote back to me 28 minutes ago, Ross. What? And here's what he said. Dear Carrie, no one in that study had any recollection at all of anything that happened during the procedure. So we did not have any near-death experiences to study. Thus, the study did not provide any evidence bearing on the question of whether or not people can see from an out-of-body perspective during NDEs. It's disappointing, but in retrospect, the study may not have been as perfect a setup as I had anticipated for studying NDEs. The period in which people were without heartbeat was generally just a few seconds, and they were all pre-medicated with sedative drugs that interfere with memory. In order to prevent any of them from having traumatic memories of having their heart stopped and undergoing electric shock to restart their hearts. Um. So the bottom line is that we have lots of anecdotal evidence of people having accurate out-of-body perceptions during NDEs, but still no experimental evidence. Oh, that's very clear-headed and honest. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one of those claims that uh, could be confirmed, but never disconfirmed. Yes, as as pretty much anecdotes are. So this is kind of the problem with anecdotes, right? Yeah. I mean, you want to trust the person telling you the story, but without being able to check up on it, what can you really do with it? And and the disconfirmation, I guess, could come in the form of people remembering things incorrectly. True. But, but again, those stories seem to just be kind of brushed aside like, oh, well, you know. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know that I'd even make note of that in my mind. You know, if if you said, oh, I think I remember you wearing a blue shirt. And I was like, no, I was wearing a pink shirt. I wouldn't even think like, oh, that's disconfirmation. You right. know, like I would just think, yeah, no, you were asleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course you don't remember. Yeah. So it's only the stories where like, oh, my goodness, you got the right color. Right. That, that we remember. Pop up, pay attention. Uh, I remember hearing the story that apparently is like very famous about someone. I think it was also cardiac arrest, but she had floated out of her body and she had seen like on the ledge of the hospital itself a tennis shoe yes and then supposedly people found it later but all kinds of problems arose with the story that there was never like a patient by that name maria was her name like mm-hmm. you know at that time at the hospital and they couldn't verify any of the details essentially yeah and actually this is really funny There are three supposedly verified examples of people traveling and seeing something, and all three are shoes. Oh. Um, Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Or at least by this one. This is a very useful power. (laughs) Right? Okay, so there's that one, where the shoe is like a tennis shoe on the ledge in the hospital, but the woman who went to grab the shoe and said, yeah, it's there, didn't take anyone with her and didn't like take a picture of the shoe. So great. Not very useful. Another, maybe you've heard this one too, was a red shoe that was actually on the roof of the hospital. Oh, I went searching for red shoe because I had kind of remembered that. And then I found the tennis shoe store. It seemed to be the most popular. I was like, oh, I must have misremembered the red thing. No. Look at me. Look at me being veridical. Red shoe on the roof. (laughs) 
<laughs> so again, like no one really like wrote down the details of like, okay, then who went and verified the shoe? Was it in view when you drive up to the hospital? Mm. Like no one really checked up on those. Gotcha. And then the other one is a woman who said to her nurse, oh, you're the woman with the plaid shoelaces. And she wasn't wearing plaid shoelaces that day. She had only worn them on a day when the woman was brain dead. What? Yes. So what? here's the thing, Ross. If you die, you are going to know so much about shoes. Yeah, that's right. Your shoe vision opens up it's, to unimagined capabilities. Maybe heaven is just like a beautiful shoe repair shop. God's really into shoes. He's got a shoe fetish. Yeah. Maybe when people return to their bodies, they're just misunderstanding God because he's like, shoe, shoe. <laughs> Get away from heaven. Shoo, shoo. And then, Go and back then to earth. they start going back. And then he's like, no, no, I was saying you could do shoes. <laughs> Come back. That's probably what happens. I think we really cracked the story <laughs> on this one. So Grayson's hypothesis is that clinical death basically allows us to change the channel on our brains. Mm. So just like a TV, we... Uh, we're only tuned into certain things because our brain can only focus on so much. Yeah. While we're alive, our brain is focusing on all the sensory inputs, mm. all the emotional inputs, everything going on in the body. But just like a TV, there's all these other channels out there that you're just not listening to. So when you are clinically dead, yeah. your mind can focus on all these other things that mm. are coming in from the spiritual realm. And it seems like these studies were very closely tied to looks at out-of-body experiences. Very yes. similar phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But of course, uh, the OBEs can happen without the near-death situation. Right. And... Other corollaries arise, like drug use. You can take certain drugs. Ketamine. Hashish, ether, other anesthetics, hallucinogens like LSD and sure. even DMT, mm -hmm. uh, that you can have these kind of mystical experiences and all these different pieces of the NDE experience. Totally. So that, that says something. Also, also like under the... Um, the duress of like heightened gravity, like for uh, pilots, like air, oh okay, uh, airplane oh. pilots, like who get subjected to like six Gs or plus. oh right right right, you know they'll black out momentarily and they'll Yikes. they'll often come back with those stories oh, wow. as well. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, with ketamine, uh, apparently the experience if you take a lot of ketamine, which we are not recommending, not recommending. <laughs> um, apparently the experience is very much like an NDE. And there was one doctor who was like, "This is a way to like study the um, our mm. connection to the afterlife." Uh, and then he uh, was found dead in his bathtub next to a bottle of ketamine so oh, listen no. guys don't yep. do it this whole field is really tough to study because yeah. obviously you can't like get a grant to nearly kill a bunch of people right and see what happens to them <laughs> and and a lot of these studies seem to focus around cardiac arrest patients because mm -hmm. that's like one of the easiest situations where you actually have data about their, um, you know, their their blood composition, the amount of oxygen. That's mm -hmm. a huge issue. And a lot of research into this has focused on the presence and lack of oxygen as being a, an important factor here. Right. And also the the presence of too much carbon dioxide as another mm -hmm. factor. But but even when you do get, let's say, like 300-something people that have undergone cardi cardiac arrest, 
it will only be a small subset yes. that actually experience NDEs or can report on them later. Right. And it's usually like 12 it's about to 12%. 8. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere in that yep. range. Yeah. And so even then you have to wonder, well, what is the role of memory? Have they forgotten? Did they experience it at the time? Or was it as they came back that they actually had the experience? And there's just so many fudgy details here that really make it hard to nail down what's going on. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times they're looking at the brain signals, whether there's brain activity, mm-hmm. but uh, sometimes there's brain activity that we can't see yet. Right. Yeah. The the uh, the machines that we use to monitor that uh, I read were kind of compared as like a one megapixel camera versus like a you know eight megapixel camera. Right. Uh, there's could be a lot still going on that we don't know about. Right. And it's about how much we need for doctors to do their jobs, right? If you're if your brain is at this low a level of activity, you are definitely in danger. So they need to start resuscitating you. Right. And and our way of monitoring brain activity is always by proxy anyway. All we can see is oxygen supply um, or blood flow, we can't see, you know, actual uh, not neurons firing. Right. We don't have the equipment to do that. Right. So when we call someone clinically dead, there might still be some action going on in that brain. So, you know, when people come back and say they've had these experiences, one of the responses is like, that's impossible. Like they were dead. Well, dead doesn't necessarily mean what we think it does in this setting. Right. Yeah. And just like in uh, The Princess Bride, Miracle Max says, you know, oh, he's not he's not dead. He's just nearly dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. Like, well, all of these people who are telling these stories, they didn't actually die because right. here they are. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, unless you believe they came back because of the shoe shoe. Oh, sure. We've kind of alluded to this, but there's two major hypotheses. One is the afterlife hypothesis, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, what most people take as a lesson from Mm near-death experiences. And then there's the dying brain hypothesis, which Mm is uh, kind of the idea that this is symptomatic of what happens to the brain as it's going through that death process, when it has less oxygen, when it has a surge of neurotransmitters, that it will experience these various Mm -hmm. phenomena. Along uh, the lines of what you were saying of a lot of these experiences being similar, there's a researcher named Michael Sabam who catalogs descriptions of the afterlife that near-death experiencers have had. And the last time he published, literally half of them, 50%, were nothing but sky. And the other entire 50% were idyllic fields, sometimes with a gate. Interesting. No people, no clouds. Well, clouds maybe, but no uh, uh, angels on harps and whatnot. Yeah, that consistency piece breaks down a little bit because it seems people have these kind of outlier stories that don't fit within that typical narrative. Mm -hmm. Another researcher is Kenneth Ring, and he spoke to many people in one study of 102 stories. He cataloged kind of the core experience and how prevalent it was. So the feelings of peace Mm-hmm. Occurred in 60% of the stories. Okay. So just a wow. majority. Uh, the actual out of body component was only in 37%. Oh, wow. Of the stories. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they still probably didn't feel. They weren't in their bodies, but they're not like having that experience where they're looking at their bodies. Exactly. Okay, got it. Entering the darkness, uh, that was 23%. So that's very common to be going through a tunnel. Yes. Sorry, Um, what percent was that? 23%. Oh, okay. And then seeing the light 
I guess is a separate phenomenon. It's mm-hmm. not always there with 16% of the respondents. Oh my God, I would hate to go through the tunnel and not see the light. Yeah, right? <laughs> just in this tunnel. It's just like, a, like Alice in the rabbit hole. Never ending tunnel. Now a clock floats by you. But this whole thing is where we get like the, you know, walk toward the light. Yes. Phrase. Totally. That we all, you know, yell at each other. Yeah, one has to wonder if it's possible that a lot of our views of heaven just come from people having these experiences so long ago that they started talking about them back when heaven started to be talked about. Totally. Now, Ross, if you were trying to find like the most excellent, the most excellent (laughs) near-death experience. (laughs) A tubular one? Yeah, where it was just amazing that a person could have seen anything at all. Who would you want that to be? What would be the holy grail person who would see something they couldn't have possibly seen? Maybe a blind person? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Right. That would make sense. So there are these studies called the mind sight studies that are entirely about blind people who had NDEs and say they could see. Supposedly, they saw their doctors. They saw the room. They saw the people who had visited them. But again, no one really documented all of the things that all of the details we would need for an independent party to go back and verify. People pay attention. Yeah, right. Whip out your cameras. Jesus. Exactly. But there was one woman, Nancy. She was blind, but she reported seeing her lover and her ex-husband watching her be wheeled out on a gurney when she was clinically dead. And they went back and verified that, yeah, her lover and her ex-husband, two people who maybe wouldn't normally stand next to each other, were standing next to each other watching watching her be wheeled on the gurney. They find this very, very compelling. I'm kind of like, I mean, if these two guys are close to you, even if they're not close to each other and you're dying, yeah, I think they'd both show up. Right, right. Yeah, this comes down to like, Psychic reading, it's very similar where like a lot of these things just could be inferred right. very easily. Right. Oh, she was on a gurney. That's amazing. How'd right. she know she was on a gurney? <laughs> now, if they'd wheeled her around like on a stuffed crocodile, sure, that then would I'd be, be very impressive. Gurney. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think the more ex- uh, impressive part was supposed to be that she knew who was looking at her. And it was these two people who would normally not be together, her current lover and her sure. ex-husband. Sure. All right. Yeah, on the face of it. Yeah, it's like a little, but I'm still just like, yeah, you were dying and the two most important people in your life showed up. Yeah. It's one of those situations where, yeah, the second you get to know those people better and the situation, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, it makes sense. Sure. Yeah. There's a a list that Moody had put together. He put together a number of lists of common common features of Mm -hmm. the NDE experience, but they include ineffability. Uh, the just the the lack of an ability to describe mm-hmm. uh, what's going on. People would comment on that. Uh, hearing the news. Um, hearing the news. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> like the, suddenly they're like, "There's a backup on the forum." <laughs> Are you aware that the bird is the word? Um, it, no, I think the idea is that someone would kind of notify them, like, "Oh, you are dead." Oh, you know, okay. You, All right. You are going through this now. I'm Fritz Coleman. Uh, <laughs> uh, feelings of peace and quiet. That was okay. a very common recurring factor. Sure. A, a loud noise. Yeah, like a popping. Yeah, or even like a rushing sound. Oh, right, right, right. And it's interesting, like many of these different factors are tied to certain modes of death uh-huh. as well. Okay. Which is very telling. And again, uh-huh. like a really good avenue for research. Um, the dark tunnel, as we've discussed. The out-of-body experience is another. 
uh, meeting others mm-hmm. we've talked about, either uh, loved ones. And that was interesting. That was cultural. Like in the U.S., you were more likely to see your loved ones. In India, you were more likely to see deities. Okay. Um, can see that. The review, like having a review of your life. You know, we've mm-hmm. heard about your life flashing before your yeah. eyes. Mm-hmm. Very common. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. The border or limit. Uh, so like coming to the end of this and like kind of having a decision point uh coming back so that process of returning shoo, shoo. and then <laughs> and then telling others um and then the resulting uh effects on people's lives as well um new new views on death and corroboration so those were okay yeah so that extended even back to once they were back in their uh Habiliments. I do remember in the in Life After Life, the Moody book, I do remember there being a lot of cases of that um, seeing your life flash before your eyes. Yeah. And um, and people kept saying you saw all of your life all at once. Like it was it felt like one second of your entire life. And again, in affability, they would be like, I know that sounds crazy. I can't really describe it. But like all of a sudden, you know, everything that happened all at once. It's like telling someone your dream. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, my God. So, like, Madonna and I were on the rooftop, and then as we were driving around, well, I know we were just on the rooftop, but it makes sense. We were actually in the car. And then she became my mom. I know that's weird, but, like, (laughs) or well, she still looked like Madonna, but I just knew she was my mom. This is a good story. Keep going. (laughs) I always find myself, like, trying to convince people of stuff when I'm telling them my dreams, like... Like, okay, I was picking a flower, but it was super creepy. I know that doesn't sound creepy, but trust me, like, it was Go super with me on this. creepy. It's a creepy flower. <laughs> Another uh, study I was looking at was um, they had been talking to people who had, like, fallen off of cliffs, like, off of really oh, okay. high heights. And I was just amazed that any of them were alive, but they there were enough that they could talk to uh, some of them. And, yeah, the life flashing before the eyes was very common. And also, that again, that sense of peace, which uh-huh. is interesting. It seems like when people get in these situations, where they're about to die seems like the body does kick up those neurotransmitters and gives you like this just sense of peace maybe it's just to help you maybe focus yeah or accept i don't know yeah have you ever thought you were about to die i almost drowned in a pool when i was three or four great psychics would do a great job on you saying there was an accident in water (laughs) right totally Uh yeah how cliche and um i i remember that's like one of my first visual memories that i can kind of go back to is like i i fell through like one of those cheerio floats Uh, oh yeah the donut Uh hole things and i remember just kind of like looking around and being like i don't know what to do i have no control over this my sister saved me and I told that I was resuscitated. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not, obviously, I don't have any memory of that. Again, I was three or four. Okay. Um, so you don't remember if you had any don't transcendent have, experience? Don't have any recollections of a okay. near death. I thought I was going to die twice. Okay. And I definitely got senses of peace in both times really? at moments when you'd think would just be filled with panic. Yeah, yeah. One was on a plane and I'm not even afraid of flights at all. But like for some reason, there was just a particular jostle that just my immediate reaction was like, oh, the plane's crashing. Hmm. And, and I just remember being overwhelmed with like, okay, well, that's okay. I did a good job. Huh. Like, it's okay. Well, for every one of you, there's like 90 people oh, like screaming, sure, and running around. Sure. And maybe if it had We're lasted more than die. three seconds, I would have been like, oh, maybe I should try to stay alive. But there was no instant review of Carrie's life? No, no. But if that happens from actual death, it's not like my brain was dying. Right. The other time I hit a semi head on <gasps> because I lost control of my car. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. It was what? terrible. 
Yeah, I actually think Ella Poppy pulled uh, my my purse uh, strap was around the emergency brake and I was going on the freeway and I think she stepped on the purse and it pulled the emergency brake up. So I lost control of my car. I spun around oh and I, goodness. yep, and I hit a semi head on. And when you're about to hit a semi, you know, you're just like, okay, I'm, this is it, right? Um, yeah. And so as I was about to hit it, all I remember is like this peaceful feeling and then thinking, oh, crap. <laughs> Everybody I know just has a dead friend now. Oh, that it was, was just, your yeah. last <laughs> That was thought. it. It was just like this sort of like, oh, man. And then just like, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> but then I hit it and they had stopped in enough time. And I had like, you know, gotten enough breakage and enough time that we just kind of went bing. And then <laughs> I took and went off the freeway. That's horrible. Yeah. When did this happen? That was 2008. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think we just met around then. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe it was a little after then. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, so how do I not know this? Uh, my thought is always like if I'm thinking like uh, about a situation where I would die, it's always like, oh, no, how's my wife going to figure out all my passwords? <laughs> That's great. That's always my thought, like she's not going to be able to access anything. She's going to be shut out. She won't be able to find anything or get like money. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should give her all your passwords. Yeah, I've been creating a master list. Oh, uh, good. For her. <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> that's that's like my first thought <laughs> you were mentioning that very few people like see hell or see anything negative right um one of the things that grayson said is that he had people that he would think of as horrible people like one was a mobster murderer um oh. who saw paradise so oh. he was like i haven't had anybody who like you'd think was going to hell report anything of hell so that's interesting huh yeah. So, yeah, if you're going to accept these theologically as uh, bolsterers mm-hmm. of, uh, of belief in, in life after death, then it might shake up your views yeah. of the afterlife. But might. again, you know, that's always God's judgments, not ours. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, I think some people might come to a universal salvation conclusion from that. Totally. Ross, I have so much more to tell you. Yeah. But before we get there, would you follow me to the billing department? We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. 
Uh, and the meals I can say are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 and use code sawbones 50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones 50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Okay, so I also wanted to tell you, Ross. Yes. Do you know who Dinesh D'Souza is? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> do you want to tell us who he is? Give us a. Uh, brief he's intro. kind of a, a, I don't know, Christian evangelical, um, I don't know, debater, gadfly. He writes deceptive books and says deceptive things. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I and you're, like not, you're not you're uh, not doing that voice because he's an evangelical or anything. No, 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 but no. Because he's just sort you of can, a blowhard. You can be a very honest, wonderful evangelical, but he's a yeah, blowhard is the right word. He didn't he make like a documentary about Obama, like supporting. Oh gosh, I don't even know. It, I don't follow Dinesh very closely because like, he's so annoying. Supporting like all these uh, absurd arguments about him. It's, right. It, it, frustrating you like you hear him in a debate and just know he's being dishonest like he knows uh-huh. he's lying uh-huh i don't like that and guy. he also he broke the law at some point like a campaign financing thing i think oh that I sounds think. familiar yeah um well anyway he um he reviewed all this evidence and he has a book called life after death the evidence and uh it's forwarded by rick warren um, and he uses NDEs to say everyone should convert to Christianity, but unsurprisingly, he uses all the examples of people who have very Judeo-Christian experiences, ah. the few like hell experiences, mm-hmm. and so on. So it's very easy to sort of cherry pick these stories. There, and, there are many of them in the popular literature. Mm-hmm. Go on. Um, for example, Heaven is for Real was a huge bestseller. Yep, remember that? I think that was made into a movie. Yeah, yeah, it was. A recent movie, I think, did actually quite well, uh-huh. which is unusual for those, you know, kind of Kirk Cameron-type Christian films. This right. one didn't involve him. But that one is was written by a little boy who had that experience, right? A little right? boy's astounding story of his trip to heaven and back. Yeah, but then uh, there was another 
one written recently. The boy by who Alex came, Malarkey. Yeah, the boy who came back from heaven, and uh, yeah, little Alex Malarkey had told his story with the help of his dad, and then uh, years later, he it was 2010, and then I think it was this year, 2015. He kind of came out with a public statement saying, "Hey, you know what? I actually made all that up. It's yeah. not true. I don't was a- I was 10 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask me about it, but you know, don't let this uh, diminish your faith." Right, right. And I believe he's a quadriplegic. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, Anyway, very brave guy to come out and say that. Yeah, Um, totally. The last thing we should mention, I think, is the AWARE study, which um, is a very big deal. And basically, they took Grayson's original study where they're projecting images upward in 20 hospitals in dying patients' rooms. And um, they, so originally when they, put out their entire plan for publishing and their uh, budget and whatnot. They said they were going to publish in 2010. Uh, But in 2010, they were like, oh, we don't have enough data. So they finally published in 2014. And they reported that although people did have NDEs, not one person saw the image and recalled it correctly. Wow. How many people had NDEs? You know, they didn't actually say. They just said, although some people had them, no one saw the images and recalled them correctly. At least from what I read, which may have been the abstract. There may be. So it took extra years of saying, oh, we're not getting what we want. Mm -hmm. Let's do it longer. Let's do it. You know, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Um, But we're talking about 20 hospitals. So not one person did it. Mm, Yeah. Starts to be a little. Says something. Yeah. Totally. A little questionable. But as they say. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Sure. Sure. Bigfoot could be out there. He could. Or she. Or she, Ross. Sorry, Bigfoot. I didn't mean to be gender <laughs> I'm the one who said he. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. You, you, oh, I was going to call you a bad name, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So that's all I had to say. Oh, okay. So, uh, so we're left with a very difficult field to yeah. make heads or tails of because you have uh, the the trickiness of the different modes of death, the very uh, small numbers of people who actually have these experiences, the different uh, types of experiences within that that don't always line up. And so there's consistency, but there's also inconsistency. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to track and to know exactly what's going on and what's due to the brain's activity and what is, you know, a Cartesian dualist other self, mm-hmm. you know, body that is ethereally floating about. And so uh, the scientific community seems to lean towards the more uh, materialist uh, view of this whole situation. That is that the, the brain produces these things and that, that for example you know, this tunnel vision is your optic nerve being acted upon by mm-hmm. the lack of oxygen or other chemicals surging. And and that's what's creating the darkness with the light in the center. Mm-hmm. The lightness that is always uh, described as being like the brightest thing they've ever seen, but not painful, mm-hmm. which makes sense if mm-hmm. it's, you know, not an actual light. Yeah. And other aspects can be explained through functions of the brain in that kind of uh, panicked survival mode. Right. And then the spiritual community would say, uh, that's all fine and good, but maybe God or the spirits or whatever give us these experiences, and that's how they give them to us. They, use, they use the brain. They use the tools of the materialistic world to communicate higher experiences. 
And if they're supernatural, well, then, yeah, you can never fully describe them using the tools of science. Right. So really the only response is just to keep studying and yeah. looking for new angles. And uh, and it's a field that is uh, contentious, but there's a lot more to be done. And it's fun. Yeah. It's a fun field. It totally is. And I would recommend to everybody to read Spook if you haven't yet. Read Spook. And I highly recommend uh, Dying to Live. Near-Death Experiences by Susan Blackmore. Excellent. And, of course, Alex Malarkey's book that turned out to be a bunch of malarkey. The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. Yep. Read it. Why, Why not? not? Thank you to Ross and Carrie for stepping in with us uh, this week. We will try not to mess up your show, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, but uh, Oh No, Justin and Cindy <laughs> will be over there on their feed, so go check that out uh, as soon as it's up, which hopefully will be very soon. Thanks. We'd also like to thank the taxpayers for providing this awesome music. And uh, special thanks to Justin and Sydney McElroy for letting us host their show. And for hosting our show. We're looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, we finally have a doctor hosting our show. It's going to be great. Yeah, some legitimacy. <laughs> finally. <laughs> My name's Carrie Poppy. My name is Ross Blotcher. And as always, don't, don't drill, drill a hole, hole in, in your head. head. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.